Welcome to episode 351 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. And we are also in the midst of this summer of prayer where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer given to us by Jesus. This has been great so far. I've really enjoyed the conversation as always. And isn't it something amazing that God continues to surprise us? And then we feel the conviction of the fact that we ought to know better that God continues to surprise us when we go to his word, right? Yeah, that's the truth. I feel like that's maybe that's like the subtext of our entire podcast is... Agreed. We think we're going to come into an episode and it's going to be kind of plain Jane. And then we, we get into it and it, and the Holy spirit does what he does and it, it rocks our socks off. So there's this way in which, by the way, sorry, excellent use of rock socks <laughs> off. Like I, I haven't heard that said in a long time. <laughs> it just caught me right in the, the feels like in this nostalgic place. Yes. You're totally right. In some ways, I, I think like what God has done in all of our conversations. So like we, you and I have an anticipation of a conversation. And sometimes that anticipation is built upon the subject at hand or the topic or the way in which we're going to couch it. And this is like classic. God loves to do this, like bringing low the hills and raising up the valley so that everything is made flat. And I think that's sometimes what happens here, or maybe all the time, because we'll say, oh, this is going to be a really technical. It's going to be so great. We're really going to get into yeah. it. And other times we're like, ah, like, let's see if we can use this for an episode, but we're not sure what's going to happen. And all the time and everywhere, what God does is levels out everything. Yeah. It just makes the technical stuff is beautiful and glorious. And the things that we thought were going to be maybe a little more pedestrian, beautiful and glorious. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we're talking about God. I mean, it's almost, right I almost feel maybe like a little bit blasphemous. And I think about it because it's like, we, we, you know, third commandment is, is making reverent right. use of God's words, right. attributes, works, everything that describes him and reveals him. So when we're talking about him, like none of it is pedestrian, none of it is casual, none of it is right. is boring. It's it's all it's all about God. So yeah, there's only power in our Father, our Heavenly Father. There is only glory and majesty. And the fact that we're talking about what Jesus has given to us as a method, an approach, a scaffolding, a framework, a rubric, whatever word you want to use to pray, we shouldn't be surprised that even if we were to parse out every single word, which theoretically we could do, right? Sure. We would just find treasure after treasure, episode after episode. And in some ways, that's what we've been doing. And we're coming to this phrase in or this petition in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, which I recognize is part of a larger sentence or larger petition. We talked in the last episode about your kingdom come. And now here's the compliment, your will be done. And some might be saying, why? Why are you breaking this apart? It shouldn't be dislocated. And we, we admit to that. And yet we want to, again, like just wade into these waters. It's worth like settling yourself down. Like when you get into a hot bath, you have to ease into that bad boy because it's warm. So in some ways, that's, of course, what we're doing. So before we get there, before we talk about what it means when we pray, your will be done on the words of your kingdom come, let's affirm and deny. I thought, why don't we just end on the high note? We'll flip it on its head. Let's do denials first. Sure. What are you denying against? So this is one of those, I want to sneak in a second affirmation. So I'm going to deny something okay. and then affirm a replacement for it. So for those people out there who own iPhones, uh, especially if you've been an iPhone user over the course of iPhone's development, um, you, what you'll see happening is... Apple will release an app or feature that's kind of like half-baked. 
And then either they'll improve their app or a lot of times they'll just straight up steal someone else's app and make it their own. So like Apple Maps is the classic example. Right. When Apple Maps first came out, it was basically unusable. And so like everybody just downloaded Google Maps. Uh, Apple Maps is actually a pretty decent app now. Uh, I think the Apple weather app is kind of in that place right now where it's really? just terrible. Yeah, it's it's so low feature that it's almost a little bit surprising. And yeah. it misses a lot of features that you would just really expect from a weather app. So, for example, you can it gives you like your standard kind of like hourly breakdown um, and you can click into that and it'll show you a graph. But the graph doesn't have numbers on it and, and it shows you the graph throughout the day. But there's no way to like move the in, the dial indicator and tell you like what the actual number is. So you have a graph, but you have to just kind of like line it up with the temperature on the side where most, most modern weather apps, you can sort of like drag your finger and it'll like match up where you are on the graph and tell you like what time is this and what temperature or what rainfall or whatever. So I'm just denying the built-in Apple weather app. And I'm suggesting, here's where the backdoor <laughs> affirmation comes in. Here we go. There's a weather app called Carrot Weather, C-A-R-R-O-T yes, Weather. I'm familiar with this. And so the the funny <laughs> thing about Carrot Weather is it's 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 billed as like an AI that makes fun of you. And it has yeah. that feature like you can there's a slider when you first turn it on where you can like tell it how snarky you want it to be, all the way up to like homicidal maniac. Or you can set it so it just functions like a regular weather app. Right. Um, and then you also get to say like, what are your, what are your political beliefs? And it'll basically like slander you. Like it was a, a the other side of the, the aisle. Um, but it, it's just a really full featured, well thought out, attractive weather app. A lot of weather apps are like design wise are like stuck five years ago in terms of like their interfaces. And this one is just really, really well done. It's got a free version and a premium version. Um, the free version is sufficient for most people's needs. The premium version allows you to do some more customization, takes away some advertising. Um, and then you're, you're able to do widgets with the premium version, which you aren't able to do with the free version. So check it out. If you're an iPhone user, it's called carrot weather. Um, even if you just turn the snark off, um, which that's part of the fun of it is it like, you'll turn it on and it'll be like, it's hot out meat bag. Why don't you, why don't you shut your mouth up about it or something like that? Um, you know, it's, it's pretty funny and it, it kind of, the personality is like, it's kind of like a little robot. So it, it talks to you about being like a meat bag. So like right now it's saying, open up your survivalist bunker rain starting in one minute. Right. Like that one's pretty tame. I think I have, I think I have the personality on a, a pretty, uh pretty tame setting. So yeah, check it out. It's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's, it is an interesting app. It's this interesting like, permutation of weather communication. So just word to the wise as a buyer, beware the paid version, which you can get a, I think a free trial of that is fantastic. Uh, be careful what you said on, because there can be language with some of that yes. commentary. So oh, yeah. just it's, but that's kind of its jam is to really push against the way in which you receive weather and to make fun of you. And like you said, to be a little snarky, but I will say this, I'm with you. I tried it out. I don't know, several months ago in terms of other weather apps, it's the, what it's supposed to do is of course, give you like more real time, right. like decision ready, like actionable information. It does do that thing but it also does it in this wrapper of just trying to be like super fun and a little bit edgy. So just know what you're getting into. But if we talked about weather on this podcast, like all the time, and we also talked about it in the context of it's amazing. Like we give, we acclaim God for the way in which he's created the world. And part of that is this natural order 
which submits to him. And it's lovely to have technology that helps you understand the place in which you live and what's going to happen in the world in which you live. So if this is the kind of thing like you're, you're really into, like you want to get really good time weather and it's part of like your doxology, like by all means, try it out. Just be careful which the way in which you use this particular app. Yeah. And one of the things I love too, is it gives you these, um, this might be a feature of the newer, the newer iPhone iteration, but it adds into your notifications. Uh, I forget what they call it, but it's basically like a live notification. That's like yes. an ongoing update. And so right. it, like, it tells you, like mine says right now to anticipate rain starting in one minute, when that rain starts, it will convert over to a, a one that says raining. It'll tell me like how many inches per hour. And then it'll also tell me when I should anticipate the rain to stop. Um, right now it's telling me we're under a flood watch, which is um, like, it's been Noah's Ark around here lately. Um, we're under a flood watch. So it's just a really, even if you take all of the like sort of extraneous features out, it's just a well-designed weather app. And it has the ability, this is what I really like about it. Um, it has the ability to select from a variety of sources for your weather. Right. So like I could do the Apple weather service. They have their own weather service that they use. I could make it so it gives me the same weather report as that AccuWeather or other kinds of weather services as well. So yeah, check it out. The free version is more than sufficient. You know, if, if all you're doing is trying to replace the less than ideal weather app that Apple comes preloaded with, the free version will accomplish that in spades. It's definitely, you can file this under what a time to be alive. Yes. It's just a lovely way to interact with the world in which you live. I totally agree with that. I'm, you know me, I get, I still like, I am this weird confluence of, I love weather apps and the ability to receive like real time information. And yeah, I also get the farmer's almanac every year. I love both of these things because again, like there's something in them that shows like the grand power of God in that there is like an order to his universe. And yeah. so like, Somebody can publish something months in advance that gives us some sense of the way in which things might turn out by way of like reasonable data, reasonable forecasting. And at the same time, there's enough of this nuance and differentiation and unfolding of the weather that is unknown and that we need some kind of like real-time technology or weather app to communicate to us. So here we find like this just amazing power of God in all of his creation. And uh, I'm like pro, I'm definitely pro weather. Who, who can't be pro weather? Well, I'll also say this about trying to forecast the weather is it's it's definitely like a losing gamble because this morning I picked up my weather app and I was like, oh, it's not raining. It's not supposed to rain for another 25 minutes. I'll just go out for a quick run. I got five minutes into my run and it was just a torrential downpour and I walked back just dripping wet. So so it's not always accurate, but that's just the nature of things, right? Only God can predict and control what's going on. So we, yeah. we have to grab this stuff with a little bit of... Uh, little bit of humility that we can we can make some good predictions but at the end of the day they're they're just that they're human reasoning that's for sure there's this old phrase at least we use in like economics and finance where we say meteorologists were made to make economists look good that will land on like percent of the people that are listening to this but that's the that is just the truth for sure yeah what about you what are you denying today i'm going to return to like an oldie but goodie because i've just come off this amazing experience we as a family were all together as we were vacationing and part of that experience for me is always getting to hear something that I only get to hear one time a year and literally just one time a year if I'm fortunate. And that is to hear a bunch of voices come together and to sing praise to God. And when I say bunch, I'm talking about having the opportunity to participate in listening to a 300 voice or more choir sing these 
amazing pieces, both hymns and otherwise, to God as acts of worship and praise. And so the denial is this old-fashioned idea of pushing against anybody that says that somehow there is something in style that is either for or against God. That is like all style, all musical expression is agnostic. So sometimes music gets appropriate, a certain style gets appropriate either for good or for evil, but that has nothing to do with the music itself. Right. And so sometimes this comes in a place where certain people will not listen to certain music because they say, well, that can't be quote unquote Christian music or that music as wild as it sounds, that cannot give glory to God. And we also think about what we're meaning, we're really meaning when we say that kind of thing. But then sometimes we're like, well, that's just not my style, so I'm not going to listen to it. And so I think there's like error on both sides of this. So like some might say like, ah, core music is just not for me. It is for you. Yeah. And some might say, well, like hardcore rap music isn't for me. It is for you if it is being used in the way in which God intended that was when he makes noise by design to be music. It is to give him glory. That turn of phrase, that turn of of musical expression is for all of us. So I think we just need to be careful on that. Like the older we get, we should actually probably be less narrow, less pinned in in our preferences and more willing to explore different expressions of music that give God explicit glory. And so having just come from a choral event where that would normally be the kind of thing where I'd sit down and do, I always love and look forward to this event because honestly, the backdoor affirmation is if you ever have the opportunity to listen to voices that have been orchestrated to sing praise to God, go and listen to that thing, no matter if on the face, it seems like the kind of thing you wouldn't be interested in. I find it hard to believe that you would not walk away from that with a great sense of awe. And I do every time that I hear it. So I guess this is, is, this is a, a denial against being too narrow and also an affirmation for listening widely. Yeah. What I love, I didn't get to go to this choir thing this year, but what I love about the choir presentation concert, whatever you want to call it at Ocean Grove is it's not auditions. Like anybody who wants to sing in the choir, like if Jesse wanted to sing in this choir, he could literally just show up at the rehearsal the week that we're there. And he would be, I think you have to wear a black shirt or whatever, but he would be allowed to join the choir. So, and that's the beauty of it, right? Is, is, um, I'm trying to figure out how I want to frame this. A really, really good big choir, the people who are not as strong are sort of like dragged along with the choir. So like you can have singers that are not like really great singers, but if the choir is strong and the choir is well-organized and well-directed, those strong singers, those, those, those strong singers cover over for the weak singers. Right. There's some skill in like if you're in the choir, you know, you're not a super strong singer like you don't sing quite as loud as the strong singers. But like your voice, even though you're not a super strong singer, your voice still lends to the choir. And I think like that's a beautiful, a really like beautiful metaphor for like the Christian life in general. Like sometimes we have people in the church who are not as far along on on the path of sanctification that that others are or they're good at this and not at that. And if we all kind of like cover over each other's faults and like we're stronger together than we could be apart. I just, it's a, a choir is just a really beautiful picture of the church and the gospel, which is, I mean, historically that's part of why choirs have been such a central part of the church's life. I don't want to get into like regular regulative principle arguments and stuff, but choirs have been a part of the church's life for a thousand years or more. So, um, and it's because they are that picture of the church of, of all of the parts working together in harmony and unity, um, and you know, in their proper places. It's just, it's good, good, good stuff. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. It's one of those interesting, strange, unique experiences where 
you're coming to hear people of different backgrounds, different voices, different skill. Of course, like that's why I'm kind of emphasizing this idea of choral in the sense that it's been orchestrated parts. And that is exactly what the body of Christ is. Yeah. So this is like some microcosmic way in which to hear like sounds coming into your ear holes, which have been organized discreetly, compartmentally in such a way that are pleasant and beautiful and transcendent. So yeah. for me, the whole power of the choir is that it is this transcendent whole. It is many parts coming together. And the summation of the parts is far greater than any individual person, of course, but even greater than if you just were to make them additive. And you only experience that when you hear this music presented to you in this particular way. So it really is a fantastic thing. One of the things I really appreciate too is that uh, many people maybe have this experience, some don't. And that is depending on the size of your church, like this is why we sing together right. to hear the scriptures and the gospels in particular proclaimed to us and to our neighbors in a melodic form with our own voice and those that are shoulder to shoulder with us. So this particular event is not just a performance. There are different points in the course of the evening where we all sing together as we all stand, even those who are in the audience and we sing. So this year we sing Blessed Assurance and it's just otherworldly. I, I can't describe it. To hear 300 voices coming at you, but then all the other voices, we're all singing melody for the most part right? in the congregation together united. And so this choir of 300 people is not people that are just from like a single church, of course. They're coming from all over that region and they're coming together, like Tony said, to like unite, they practice and they're prepared. It's almost, I'll say it this way, like almost miraculous. This yeah. is what God does for us in music. It is a gift to us. So to be appreciative of different styles and to relish them and to want to participate in them as if like a buffet, like I want to come and sample different types and genres. I think as we get older and as we become more mature in our Christianity and our Christian walk alongside of Jesus Christ, we also explore those things more and more. And unfortunately what happens generally is we kind of come into this narrow frame and focus of like the music of our youth, which is fine. But at the same time, we should just acknowledge and want to be participants in various styles, especially when it's being used in expression of the gospel yeah. and it's being used as a means to acclaim God, to worship him, and then to edify and equip the saints. We should just lean into that all the time. So it's a little bit denial, a little bit of affirmation, but I mean, we I could go on for a very, very long time. So let me transition then. Let's, let's end on some affirmation so we can get into what it means to pray your will be done. What are you affirming with on this episode? Well, I am, I, this is a coconut oil uh, affirmation. We've definitely <laughs> talked Hold about it. this before. I'm let's affirming Ocean Grove, New Jersey. So Jesse has mentioned uh, today and we were uh, recorded last week while we were in Ocean Grove. We just came off this week long vacation that our family does every year in this little beach town in on the Jersey Shore. Um, ironically situated it, it, you know, like next to one of the like, I don't know if you want to call it like one of the sin capitals of the world, but like Asbury Park is like a total hotbed for LGBT activism. And then immediately next door is this little quaint town that literally is owned by like a gospel organization. Um, so if you ever get a chance to vacation in Ocean Grove specifically, I mean, the Jersey Shore is nice in terms of like beach areas, but Ocean Grove is a world unto itself. Um because of the history, which we're not going to get too much into, because of the history of it and the fact that the land is literally owned by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, the town started when uh, a bunch of Methodists did a tent revival and nobody left. Like people just came and they just stayed. And so they built a town around it. Um, so the Camp Meeting Association owns all the land um, that allows them to set, you know, um, 
not necessarily laws um, because they're not a municipality. So calm down all you theonomists and Christian nationalists out there. That's not what this is. Um, but they're allowed to set a lot of, um, because they own all the land, all of the buildings are leased by the tenants. Uh, you know, they're leasing it from the, the camp association. They're allowed to set a lot of the rules about how the land is used. So there's, there's Bible studies provided. There's, there's kids programs. There's a variety of worship services, not only on Sunday morning, but also throughout the week. Um, there's these different activities and, and they're all gospel. I mean, I shouldn't say all of them. Most of them are, are gospel oriented gospel right. and, and the true gospel. Like these are evangelical people. Yes. Um, right. You know, you, you got your mixed bag. It's, it's not, it's not um, Geneva. It's not like Calvin's Geneva that you're vacationing in. Um, but it, it's evangelical gospel, Bible believing people that are running the place. Um, and so while there are lots of people who are vacationing there that are not, um, those people are being exposed to the gospel sometimes just by being in the area. Like people have Bible verses hung outside their houses. It really is a kind of a, a strange place on earth. Um, it makes me kind of wish maybe that like Christian nationalism could work out because it's it's such a special place. Um, I, I'm joking, of course. I think Christian nationalism is a pox on on the church right now. But um, yeah, it's it's a fun, cool place to be if you ever get a chance to vacation there or even just um, to just visit for a day, like to, to go to the beach. Um, you know, if you're in the area and you're trying to pick which of these various beaches am I going to go to, the Ocean Grove Beach is – it's not a different beach. It's it's the same. But the the way that the town is set up is a very – it's a, just a very fun, safe little place to be. I think the modern evangelical world is, is familiar with ideas of like some kind of place where you might go for a retreat. This is like on a whole different scale. Yeah. So it's self-advertised as God's square mile of the Jersey Shore. And of course, in saying that, they're making this really strong statement, which is in this property, on this place, what you're going to find is God lifted up high and exalted, that he is preeminent and prominent in everything that we do. And that is absolutely true. So here's the strange, remarkable thing. Like usually when you go to a retreat, you have to register for that thing, right? right. Like you have to say like, I'm going to be here. I'm going to pay this fee. I'm going to attend these things. I'm going to have this food. I'm going to eat this lunch. And the remarkable thing about this is, all the events that you just described, they just go on. Now, they are supported by the work of this organization. But in effect, what happens is you just show up. You want to go and have this uh, participate in this hour of praise. You go and do that thing. Right. You want to go and participate in this thing called Bible Hour and receive teaching every weekday morning. You just go and do that thing. So this is like on a strangely different scale. And I, I think we both have our mother and your mother-in-law to thank for this. This is part of her childhood experience that this strange place exists and exists because people have desired to protect it and invest in it and to resource it. It is unique. And what is lovely about it is it's a community that gathers, especially in the summers, but all year long to worship and to be restored, yeah. not just in physical rest, but in this kind of like spiritual rest. It's almost like my sense is honestly, when we go there, that for me, it's like a week of Sabbath all around. Yeah. And I think we've been on plenty of vacations together. We've been to different places in that time. And usually, of course, the normative experience is that you just don't do anything or right. you just find a way to restore your body physically. This is of a different level. So if you've never experienced something this before or it sounds so strange to you, like you have a tin ear to exactly what we're talking about, just go and Google it. Go yeah. Google Ocean Grove, New Jersey. And you'll find, I think, that it is like in many ways, maybe like the last bastion of this kind of thing because God has, in his great providence, allowed this place to exist. And yeah. it does exist by way of 
like certain standards of like what it means to acquire land and property in such a way to promulgate this idea. So it is incredibly unique. It's not Calvin's Geneva, but it might be the closest thing that exists in the U.S. to this kind of idea. Yeah. What it makes me think of, and and I'm not recommending this show because it's a pretty trashy show, but there's a show called The Marvelous Miss Maisel. It was this show about this like comedian that was on Amazon for a while. And one of the seasons they, they, it's this Jewish family. They go to this like resort every summer in the Catskills. And like, they go to the resort, they see the same people, they stay in the same cabin, they do the same events. Like there's, or like, um, if you watch like modern family, there's a couple episodes, uh, where they have like family camp, they go and like, they see the same people. It very much is like that. It's like this, this thing. And you and I, this is now our fourth year, fourth year, I think going. Right. Yeah. Fourth Fourth year. It would have been like the sixth or seventh year, but we got interrupted a couple of times with COVID. And like, even now I'm starting to feel the rhythm. We go the same weekend every year or the same week every year. I can like feel the rhythm of it. There are people that I've started to see that I recognize the people like out on the street. Um, It's, it's a pretty amazing, uh, amazing little place. Yeah, it's it's totally unique in its own right. So, and there's something I think to your point, glorious about that. It points us toward heaven. This this idea that in every way, what's situated for us is something where when we come together as the family of God, when we come together in a place where like evil has been extinguished, that all of false motives, like all of our sinful pensions, are stripped away. Then what we'll find is that we will be gathering together to worship and to understand, to learn and to be with each other in great fellowship in such a way that it just makes sense. And you get a piece of that in this particular community. And that is something unique. Again, like I think most people, or maybe some people have had this by way of like a retreat where you go away. This is like on a different scale. So again, if you're curious, all you have to do is just Google it. And I think that you'll be interested in what's going on there. For sure. The other thing I I really like about it is like you said, like it's not, it's not like summer camp where you're forced into certain activities. Right. Like right. if you if you want to go to this place and just enjoy a beautiful town that ha- has sort of quaint, leftover, almost like leftover civic morality. Like you're not going to see people for the most part like partying in Ocean Grove. Like there aren't late night raves. Right. People aren't like getting in fights on the street. It, it's a very quaint, outwardly moral place. If you want to go and just enjoy that and not participate in any of the activities, there's no pressure, at least no no pressure from like the town. Like no one's coming to your door asking you to sign up for stuff. And you don't you don't typically even need to register ahead of time for things. So you can participate in that part of the town as much or as little as you want. Um, and that's that's part of the beauty of it. Like it, it really is just a special place. Like I feel it, it, it's funny. I was trying to explain this place. I don't know if you've had this experience. I'm guessing you probably have. I was trying to explain this place to a non-Christian that I work with. And I felt like I needed to say like, I know it sounds a little bit like a cult, but it's really not a cult. Right. Like it's, it's the way that the town is set up. It's very overtly Christian, but somehow also not in your face about it. It just is. It's a really cool place. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, you know, part of the reason I think why it lends to this, when you explain to somebody like there's there's an element of wildness to it is because this is a place which has been dedicated, set aside for a particular passion and that the people here come united in that passion. 
And then their expression of that passion happens in all manner of things. Right. So for instance, like we talked about almost every, I actually think every night of the week on the boardwalk. So again, this is, here's again, talk about God's providence and a remarkable thing. This beach, part of the beach that's owned by the Camp Meeting Association has a boardwalk. People from all like walks of life, no pun intended, walk this boardwalk. And there's a pavilion there where every evening there's some kind of musical expression of worship. Yeah. That's just normative. So people are walking by and they stop and they hear this great band play and they're hearing the gospel. It's just so unusual. And particularly in like that kind of setting, normally you would associate like a boardwalk experience with like the frivolity of life, with something about like its expression of kind of like you said, like maybe more of the strange and parts of life, which we won't talk about this podcast. And yet what you find here is the exact opposite. And so that's just like part of what is going on there. And it's not orchestrated. It's just that if we have access and we are sitting, we've situated ourselves on a part of the property of the world, which is adjacent to the ocean. And there's a boardwalk here and we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we not get some people with like a piano and a guitar and a drum to come and sing and play and praise? And that is just what happens there. So to me, it is like this natural expression of worship, which in some ways is garden-like, if that makes sense. It's not, of course, the garden. And I, it's not like that post mill. I'm just saying like, it's this ideal of coming together and worshiping in the world, which we have in a way that's like, this is who we are. And we have the liberty and freedom to do that here. And it's drawn a lot of people who feel the same way and we're going to do it. Yep. Yep. What, what about you? What are yep. you affirming this week? All right. Like we're already at the 29th minute. So I'm going to try to make this like really quick, but it's going to get super weird and this could be a whole episode. So I'm just affirming with like simple technologies and here's how simple I'm going to make this. 50 miles north of what is now like Edinburgh, nearly like 2,000 years ago, the Roman Empire's 20th legion began to build like this fort near the River Tay. And by Roman standards, it wasn't like super remarkable. Like it was large. Uh, It had like a hospital, it had granaries, but it didn't have like a lot of like the amenities of Roman life, like baths and aqueducts. But here's what's weird. They didn't finish it and they left behind this really strange treasure, 10 tons of nails, like, you know, like the nails that you would use to like to construct an edifice, nearly a million of these bad boys. And that nail hoard was discovered in 1960 in a four meter deep pit covered by two meters of gravel. And basically what happened is the Romans got out of there, they hightailed it out of there. And the likely explanation for why their withdrawal was rushed and why they buried this stuff is because they didn't want the local Caledonians getting their hands on 10 tons of weapon grade iron. And if you look this up and start to understand something about this, the amazing thing is that one, nails are like an amazing technology. And two, it's known that like, this was like an amazing thing to have taken place. Like later civilizations would value like the skilled labor of a blacksmith's hand at being able to create a nail even more than the raw material itself. The fact that you can go to like your local Lowe's or Home Depot and buy nails is like a totally modern convention. So the idea that here was something created so that we could have shelter over us in a way that was profound was in fact a profound technology. And it wasn't just like the nails were really expensive to build, uh, but it was the fact that this was just a really hard thing to produce. So in fact, like one more weird statistic or like factoid about nails is that really even into like the modern like history, like 1700s um, or 1800s, even for, I actually, I guess into like the 1900s, these were so valuable that like 
even in the US, like in the Midwest in particular, if you were going to like move your homestead, one of the things you often did was set it ablaze and let it burn to the ground so you could sift through the ashes and pull out all the nails and then go build your new house because the nails themselves were that expensive. So it's just like this really, I don't want to call it, I sort of call it a common grace that God gives us this technology that we often take advantage of because most of the time it's like the high level technology. We talked about a lot of AI on this podcast that gets all of like the praise and the renown and the intention, but really it's like the quote unquote low level technology, the simple things which have totally radicalized our world and have made it like habitable for us in the way that we understand it, that really ought to receive like all of this acclaim or this praise. And to me, that's also like this lesson in like how we underappreciate who God is, how big he is, what he does for us. And so the fact that there's these little iron things that are sharp, that have heads at the end, that have really been like, no matter where you're sitting right now, most likely you have been the beneficiary of nails. It's just an amazing thing. So I'm affirming nails and all of like the, all of the amazing technology that seems simple is really profound. Somebody is just like, I did I did I download an episode of Hardcore History? What what just happened here? Yeah, I, I think that's great. Little known fact, uh one of the first purchases that my wife and I made uh together as a couple was a box two boxes of of nails and we still have those boxes of nails. That's how how infrequently we use nails. Uh, the same two boxes of nails are now 10 plus years uh, into our marriage and still have gone with us to every location that we've lived. So yeah, nails are great, I guess. It's awesome. Yeah. They are. I, I think we could probably hashtag. Nail that, right? hashtag, hashtag <laughs> I honestly, that made me, that makes me laugh like out loud as everybody just heard. Yeah. Because like, I, I didn't even think of like a Luther reference there, but obviously that was on me. <laughs> I, I really, really should have like my word, the reformation hung on a nail. I feel like, I feel like we could just, the rest of the episode could be nail puns. Yeah. Let's see if we can work. Let's see if we can work with those. Uh, Speaking of the rest of the episode, how about we do that thing? So, so uh, you've heard enough of our affirmation denials. We're talking about the Lord's prayer and we're getting to that phrase, your will be done. And I'm just going to, because we're already further along this episode, anticipate a bit. And there's a lot, so much that has been written and that we could say about the will of God. And I think actually you and I have been articulate about this, hopefully to some degree, that's mostly cogent in the past. And so I would encourage the loved ones to go back in the last, in the, I almost said lost catalog, in the catalog and find those episodes. But let me start with maybe the conclusion, if you'll, if I can be so bold, and then we'll move backwards. So when we're talking about this phrase and we're going to say, what does it mean to pray? In the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. And I promise I'll finish with that prayer so that we can hear it in our own ears again before we talk about it in earnest. But the conclusion is we really need to distinguish between at least these three spheres of God's will because we're called to respond to each of them in a distinct and different way. So God's secret will, we cannot know. And we must respond to the mysteries of life with faith. God's revealed will, we can know for sure. And in this, we really have to obey. And God's discerned will, we can test, and by testing, we can seek and find the path of wisdom. When we pray, your will be done, we're asking for faith in what God has kept secret, for obedience in what God has revealed, and for wisdom in what God has called us to discern. That is what I would say embodied in this prayer. So before we get to that, let me give you that prayer again. This is from Matthew 6. We've been spending our time here 
setting down roots, starting in verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah. I think we can just close the episode then with, with just that. <clears throat> no, right we on. still have like 20 minutes to to do. So it's actually obligated. W- one of the things that I, I wanted to sort of call out, and we, we, we ran into this similar function of the confessional catechetical documents in the uh, Ten Commandments series. But one of the things that if you read different commentaries on this portion of scripture, um, there is sometimes disagreement with how the petitions like line up and how you divide them or if you even should divide them. And so we kind of alluded to this a little bit last week, but this, the, um, the, what are we on? The third petition, which is what we're talking about today. And the second petition, which is what we talked about last week, which is your kingdom come. Sometimes people will view these as like flip sides of the same coin or like it's actually just one petition. Like thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Like it's, it's this overarching idea of like God should do what he does in heaven. He should make it like that here on earth. And one of the things that I think is um, unexpected and sometimes a little bit controversial is there are some portions of scripture that if you want to subscribe to the Westminster standards, um, if you think that that is the faithful biblical summary, there are actually some confessionally um, driven considerations of how to even understand and break up the text. And this is one of those places, right? So so the catechisms, the, the larger and shorter catechism in, in traditions that subscribe to the Westminster standards, the larger and shorter catechism give us a specific numbering sequence. And this is not likely in most cases, I don't think to be like the hot button question in an ordination exam of like, can you explain why the second and third petition are separated? Like, I I don't think anybody is asking if you take exceptions to the numbering schema of the 10 commandments, but the way that we break up the 10 commandments we found has some theological importance, right? The way that the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics do the 10 commandments it sort of like takes the this regulative principle out of the equation because it, it collapses the second commandment into what we call the second commandment into the first commandment. So the right. first commandment is a, an overall prohibition against any sort of false idolatry worship or worshiping other gods. The second commandment then is the blasphemy commandment. That's theologically different than if a general prohibition against worshiping other gods and a specific prohibition about worshiping other gods and worshiping God in a, in the wrong way. The same kind of thing happens here in the Lord's prayer. If this petition, if the second petition of the Lord's commandment is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's theologically different than if the second petition is thy kingdom come. And the third petition is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we talked about last week, Thy kingdom come really in our tradition. And as, as we talk about our tradition, what we're really saying is how we understand the Bible. 
the Bible really seems to be teaching that the kingdom of God is maybe not 100% synonymous with the visible and invisible church, but there's a significant amount of overlap between those things. So when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we're, we're basically asking for God to evangelize the nations. That's what we're asking for. And we talked about that last week. When we talk about thy kingdom come, this is where we're starting to talk about God affecting his rule and his reign in, in more than just the church. Right. So just reading from um, the Westminster Larger Catechism, it says, uh, this is question 192, or the answer to that. In the third petition, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and do the will of God, but prone to rebel against his word, to repine and murmur against his providence, and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil. We pray that God would, by his spirit, take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, indisposedness, and uh, perverseness of heart, and by his grace make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to his will in all things, and with like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. So, So what we're praying for in the third petition is that God would shape and transform not just the the sort of boundaries of who is in the church. That's really the, the second petition. Bring the elect into the church. That's, that's the kingdom of God coming on earth. Or the, the, will, the will of God being done on earth is really broader than that because we're not only right. praying for the will of God to be done in building and, and forming the church, but we're also asking for it to be done outside of those boundaries. So, so today, you know, I, I was officiating our service because our pastor is still on, on leave right now. Um, during the pastoral prayer, I'm praying that God would, would appoint uh, and elect officials in the upcoming elections that uh, first and foremost are Christian, that are explicitly Christian and would rule and govern according to God's moral precepts, right? I'm not a theonomist, so don't hear me being a theonomist when I say that. Uh, that's just straight up Westminster theology, right? That God would appoint officials who will rule according to his precepts and that they would be Christians. That That's a that's a valid, good prayer. But I'm also praying that even those those non-Christians who are elected, that the light of nature, the conscience in their, their, the fact that they're in the image of God, that they would see the light of nature, they would understand the moral reality that God has created and that they would govern right. according to that. That's an, that's an embodiment or an expression of this same prayer, to pray that God would put the right people in positions of authority and that they would rule and govern in just ways according to God's justice, not our own created justice. That's what this prayer is getting at. Yeah, there's sometimes this sense in which we're asking God to do something which he wishes he could do, but he was frustrated right. with. And if we could somehow just in our own volition express this desire that comports with his, then everything would be aligned and he'd be able to accomplish the thing which he really desired to do to begin with, but couldn't. That's not what's present in the Lord's Prayer, which is why we have to understand in some ways the different facets or spheres of God's will. So. Right. For me, when I read this and I'm looking at the prayer and I'm con- contemplating it in the, in the course of what Jesus is saying to us, I'm always pairing this with something like Deuteronomy 29, 29, which reads, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. So I think like you're saying, we ought to notice like the important distinction that's made here between what is secret and what is real. What is revealed belongs to us and we must do that thing. But what is secret belongs to God, we cannot know it. So this idea that the fact that all things, and this is Romans 8, all things are working out toward the good of those who love God, who has been called according to his purpose, 
And in that way, God is sovereign. In other words, like in many ways, we don't need to pray this prayer for God's will to take place, at least like the secret will. He's always superintending that will upon all things. Yeah. In some ways, what we're asking in this prayer is that we be conformed to that will, that like God will continue to do all of his stuff, the things that he wants to do, and that we would be yielding to that, submissive to that, accepting of it. Yeah. And so this is, again, one of those examples where we see that God is sovereign and his will always prevails. He's not frustrated in that will. Yeah. And so in this way, the prayer is more about us and a conformance of us to that will than it is by saying, well, if I didn't pray this, as if like Jesus is saying, listen, there's like a lock here and the lock is God's will. And you need to have the proper key to set free the lock. So let me give you the words that are the combination right. to that lock. And by way of that, you'll be able to receive all of God's will. It's not that way at all. Yeah. We're actually saying, God, come and change us. God, come and have your way. Have your way and submit us. Make us yielding to that will so that we might be participants on it because we know that by our very nature, we want to fight against you in it. Yeah. And I think, too, this distinction between, um, although we have to be theologically careful when we talk about like a plurality of wills in God, um, we, we don't want to... We don't want to put forward the idea that there's like this secret will of God and that that is somehow different and distinct from his revealed will. Right. God has Still God has a single will. We're talking about exactly. this in ways that are useful for our understanding, right? This is like when we talk about God and we have to talk about his attributes as though they weren't the same thing, even though theologically we know they are. The fact that God's secret will um, is his secret will. So roughly speaking, when Reformed theologians talk about the different wills of God, we might say the different aspects of God's single will or the different facets of God's will. There's what we would, most of the time we would call like his secret will. Um, this is what he hasn't revealed to us. He hasn't showed it to us. Right. It, typically we're thinking of things that are off in the future. And the reason for that is because the second type that we would talk about is usually what we might call his decretal will. And this right. is, this is retrospective. We can look back at what has happened and know that that was God's decreed will because God decrees whatsoever comes to pass and whatsoever comes to pass does so according to the unfolding of his will. And then the third category is his revealed will. And this, this is more or less the moral law. This is what God has revealed to us for the rule of our obedience, right? To use the, the language of the catechism. And the distinction between those three wills also helps us to understand in a certain sense what we're not praying for. I think right. sometimes Christians get tripped up and this is... This is part of what drives the criticism of Reformed theology, that it makes prayer useless or prayer pointless. Um, but also, I think there is a fair number of Christians, Reformed Christians, um, who probably feel a little bit like prayer is is useless. Because why are we praying for something that, that God's going to accomplish no matter what we do, right? Like, there's a certain intuitive force to that. But the intuitive force disappears if you understand that what we're not praying for God to do his decretal will, he's going to do his decretal will. He's already right. going to do his decretal will. Exactly. We're not really praying for God to do his secret will because that's God's secret will. And and it, it will be his decretal will. Like those are flip sides of the same coin. What we really are praying for in this petition and then more broadly when we, we talk about God's will and we pray that God would, would accomplish his will, we're really praying, as you said, for God to conform us to his moral revealed will. Exactly. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come and we're talking about evangelism, that's we we already know that that's what God wants to do. He wants he wants the elect to come in. But we're praying in order to shape us and drive us and to change us 
into the people who are going to go out and do that, right? And in the same way or in a very similar way, in this petition, when we pray for God's kingdom to be, to be done, we're, we're, or for God's will to be done, we're praying that God would shape and transform us and that also his moral will would permeate the world, right? right. So when I, when I pray, I don't pray this way every day, but when I pray that God would end the evil of abortion, for example, right? I don't pray for that every day. I know some people who do, and that's that's their thing, and, and that's fine. Um, when I pray for that, I'm praying that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I'm praying that God's moral will, which we, we know God's moral will, is is the, the promulgation of life, the preservation of life, and not the ending of innocent life, uh, earthly, you know, horizontally innocent life. That is God's revealed will. So we're not praying that God would bring about his decree to will. He's already going to do that. And and paradoxically, that may not be the end of abortion in America. God, God may have his own sovereign purposes, uh, and he has to have had his own sovereign purposes to allow abortion to continue in the United States as long as it has. Right? It happened. Therefore, we know it's part of God's decreed will. He has his reasons. That's why it's also his secret will. He hasn't revealed those reasons to us. But what we do know is that God has commanded his people to, to advocate for and seek the preservation and the prospering of human life. So that's what we pray for. And that's the, the moral will that we're asking God to bring into, into being in, in the world, first and foremost in us, and then next in the community around us that we're influencing and in the laws of the land. That is a perfectly good, valid expression of this, this part of the Lord's Prayer. But it could also be, you know, as straightforward as, Lord, help me to be a, a good son-in-law, right? Help right me to be a good father and a good husband and a, a good employee. That's the same moral will that we're praying for, right? Help me to fulfill the obligations of the fifth commandment, to honor my, my mother and father-in-law, to honor my wife, to, to take care of my children, to be a good employee. That's the, four, that's the fifth commandment right there. We're praying that God would change me so that I better conform to the, fourth, the fifth commandment. That's what we're praying for here. Yeah, there's, like you said, I hope people are sensing there's like so much, ah, this is my fear is that like sometimes people think we're talking about stuff like we're trying to be too academic or bring in theories or postulates like hypotheses about like how the scripture is formulated. And yet when I see this prayer and then I read it and then I try to apply it, what I find that it's so rich in theology, like right. you can't run away from this study and understanding of God. In this phrase in particular, your will be done. We ought to ask, what is that will? How does it function? What does it mean? And so, like you said, it's pregnant. It's pregnant with triplets, right? Because yeah. like there's these like different understandings of the will of God, which all unite. They're in composite in their parts of a single will, and yet they express different things. So everything you just said about this idea of the revealed will of God, that is what I think Christians underemphasize and maybe is like overemphasized in this prayer, if I can be so bold. Like the will of God for us today is revealed in the great commandment. And we've just had this great series on the Ten Commandments. But this idea of that it is God's will that we love the Lord our God with all of hearts and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. That's Mark 12, right? The will of God for us today is revealed in this great commission. It's God's will that we go and make disciples right. of all nations, which is Matthew 28. It's the will of God for us today includes the Ten Commandments. God's will is that we should not commit adultery, even in our hearts. It's God's will that we should be content. It's God's will that we should tell the truth. It's God's will that we should have no other gods before him. 
So all of this, I think, is expressed in those simple words. And so the course of God's revealed will is not limited to the verses, of course, that we have that say like just God's will. Right. It's all that God has given us to us in scriptures that we ought to obey. In other words, there's so much there, like there's so much meat on the bone for us to just like put our effort into obeying, into trusting that this is the way that God has for us to act. That like is enough for a lifetime without right. like debating all of these other lesser, so to speak, nuances of like the philosophical underpinnings when it is to say like, what has God commanded that we ought to do? He's made it clear. And those things are difficult enough. And even in that he has caused us, he has given us the Holy spirit that allows us to have the same power that is the same power that is at work within us was the same power that raised his Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is the power that allows us to participate in this very plain and revealed will of God. So I think like, I'm guessing we would both agree that so much when people say like, oh, I'm just struggling with God's will for my life. That's right. more of like a discerned will question. And like this nuance of like, who should I marry and what job should I take? And maybe where should I go move? And there's so much energy and effort in oxing over like those variables. When really what's clear is that God says, do this thing, walk in this way, right. be pure, seek after me, love me with all your heart love your neighbors as yourself. And those things were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not interested in those things. Like I'm interested in like the mysterious things. Yeah. Like I want you to like reveal to me all of your plan, all of like the grand arc of like what you're doing in the world right now in my time or the time before or the time to come. And God says, that's not for you to be concerned with. Right. I've given you this very explicit revealed will. And I'm asking you to pray over and for that revealed will. Yeah. That you would be submissive to it. And so I, I have to think that in part, when Jesus includes us in his prayer, he's doing this like really pr primarily for our good, because the, the glory of God is manifest. Right. Like it doesn't need us. So like, let me just end this weird diatribe with this thing. Here's a pet peeve that I have is, I don't know if you've experienced this. Maybe I'm going to trigger some people. Is this <laughs> idea of like, especially when it's like a spiritual event, it might be the Lord's day, it might be another event. But when people in their prayer like say something like this, like, God, we invite you, we welcome you right. into this place, like into this space, especially on the Lord's Day, I want to think you don't need to do that because God is like already ordained this. He set aside this day. It's yeah. his proclamation. It's his call to worship. All you're doing is something where I, I have to presume that God's saying like, yeah, like that's, that's already like, this is my promise. I'm yeah. already doing that thing. Don't ask me to do the thing I've already done. Ask me for something bigger. Ask me for something greater that I've I've basically requested that you would ask of me. So when we say things like, God, would you show up? Or like, we welcome you here. He, God is already present among us. In fact, like he keeps saying, like, I've given you signs sealed and delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And by that seal to my presence, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are part of God's household. Like you're part of my family. Yeah. He's already done this thing. So like when we say, God, your will be done. We're not, of course, asking like, as if like, God, would you just make a Christian nation wherever that is in the world? What's the things you've heard to call me to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right on. You know, I think it's funny on these, <laughs> um, on these questions of God's will, you know, there's a, there's a story. I'm sure that I've told this story on the podcast before, but we're 351 episodes in, and I certainly hope people are not going back and listening to every episode because those first 50 are, man, they're rough. Um, they just don't. But um, 
I had a friend in college who was very much a, a charismatic, um, kind of your, your very typical evangelical charismatic kind of person, um, very Arminian. And, um, you know, she was in my Greek class and she was, uh, she was dating at the time and then got married to this guy who, who had for a career aspiration to be a worship, worship leader, worship pastor. Um, and he took a job, um, in new England, which I was excited about. Cause this is one of my close friends from college. She was going to be going to new England the same time I was going to seminary. And so this guy packed up his, his, at the time it was just his wife, but his family, they moved across country and he was in the position for maybe like, uh, I talked, I talked to this, this friend of mine. Uh, it was like a, like a Tuesday afternoon. And she's like, man, I just really feel like I'm living in the center of God's will. Like we're just really in the sweet spot. And I was like, okay, whatever that means, but sure. I'm glad that you're, I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad that you feel good about your life circumstances right now. And then it was like two days later, her husband had gone into some meeting with the pastor and had, had made some smart Alec comment and had got himself fired. Like he just got fired and she called me and she's like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, what do you mean? You don't know what to do. Like you move back home. Like you you just, you pack your stuff back up. You're going to have to go back and live with your parents for a while. And that like, it sucks, but that's what it is. She said, well, I feel like it was God's will for us to be at this church and we really blew it. And now like, there's no way for us back into God's will. And and I was like, what a terrible, depressing way to live. Let's, let's forget about all of the theological implications of a God whose will can be thwarted by a, by a, a misplaced comment in a business meeting that gets you, gets you fired. Let's forget about the the just theology proper problems with that. What a terrible, depressing way to live to think that you can just take yourself outside of God's will. And now you're in right. like this no man's land, this this like wasteland where like God just doesn't could care less what happens with you. He just either that or like it's gonna take him a while to like bring it back around and figure out how to get you back on track. Like I remember, I remember hearing people talk about how if you get outside of God's will, that it takes him a while to sort of like bring you back in. Like he's going to have to, this is him working together all things for good, but, but that takes time. That's just a terrible way to live. And that is not at all the picture that the scriptures give. And especially not when we're talking about God's will, right? The other story I always tell her, the other thing I always mention when I'm talking about God's will, I feel like this is R.C. Sproul, but it's it's bounced around so many times that it could be really anybody. But I think it was R.C. Sproul who was, uh, he would give the example of a student who came into his office and said something like, man, there's these two girls and I just really like these two girls. Yes. There's Betty and there's Susie. And I just, I just don't really know which one, uh, which one I should, I should date and pursue for marriage. And, and Sproul just says, well, which one do you like better? Like, it, like, it's not a, it's not a mystery. Like there's no secret special, you know, there's no special revealed will for which, which one you're supposed to marry, whether it's Betty or Susie or Mary or like you, you, the only question in that situation, are they both Christians? Okay. Well then which one do you like better? Which one right. do you find more attractive? Which one is, which one has a family history that you're going to be more easily able to integrate into? Those are not moral questions. Which one do you like better is not a moral question, right? We're not asking for God to reveal his secret will. And that's where a lot of Christians, I think, get depressed about this. They, they're begging God to reveal his secret will. I remember, I remember being a young Christian and just thinking it would be so much easier, you know, a young Christian, young single guy, just thinking it'd be so much easier if like one day a girl walked out and she had like a big blinking sign overhead that was like, marry me. And like, God just revealed it to me. Maybe that would have been easier, but it definitely is not how God works, right? God God doesn't reveal things that way. 
So, so it became a matter of like, okay, well, I got to do what I think is right. I got to follow what I believe God's commandments are, which means being wise and being prudent. Yes. And ultimately God brings you along in his secret and his decreed will to what he intends for you. And the, the real, um, God reveals his will to us more like a compass than he does like a GPS. He's not showing us every, every hidden turn in, in the, um, the roadmap of our life, right? There's no turn left here, turn right here, go 15 feet forward. Instead, he says, this is the, this is your moral compass. This is the compass you have. And as long as you continue to move in the direction that this moral compass points you, you're moving toward what I have for you. That that's just the same thing. So Sunday morning. Oh man, I wonder if it's God's will for me to go to church. I better cast lots. No, it's God's will for you to go to church on Sunday morning. Like the fourth commandment is God's will for you. And that includes going to church on Sunday morning. Like there's no, there's no discerning that, right? Is it, is it God's will for me to use internet pornography? No, it's not God's will for you to do that. That is, that is not a, a matter of discernment. It's a matter of God's revealed will. That's what we're praying for God to bring about in our lives with this petition for us to be conformed to his revealed moral will, not in this academic technical sense that you talked about earlier, but in this sense that this is, this is the abundance of life that God has for us. This is the direction of our life that he wants us to, to go through, right. To go for, um, there's a phrase I just got done preaching in, in James. There's a phrase in the section where he talks about taming the tongue where it talks about how you can set the whole course of your life on fire with the tongue, right? That course of life, that's what we're talking about. God sets a course for our life, and that course is to walk on the path of the moral law unto salvation. Not, not to earn salvation, right. but this is this is the way. Walk in it. Like, that's that's what God is saying. So I just think that we, we need to be really, really focused on praying this prayer, because this is maybe the last thing I'll say. We talk a lot. We talk a lot about obedience on this show. I feel like uh, like a casual listener to this show um, who only hears like bits and pieces of the show and doesn't listen to us across the whole scope of our our back catalog. We might actually come across a little bit as legalistic because we we land heavy on the fact that as Christians we have obligations. We are required yeah. to do God's holy law. Like that's that's not an optional thing. I've said it before, like one of the first things that I ever got into sort of hot water on this show was when I said, well, do, do better, try harder is the Christian life. That's true. Like we are to be striving in holiness and for holiness, but this prayer reminds us none of that could happen without the Holy Spirit's uh, act first, right? Even, even when we pray for God to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven, that still is a prayer that's carried to the Father by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The fact that we even desire to pray that is already the work of the Holy Spirit. But right this on. underscores that the obedience that we're talking about, this, this obedience to the revealed will of God, it, it only comes because the Spirit causes us to have that desire. Otherwise, it's just dirty rags, just like any other attempt at obedience. This isn't drag yourself up by the bootstraps kind of stuff. Right. This is ask the Lord to make you more like Jesus kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good way for us to kind of try to wrap it up, this idea, because I think we could go on for a really long time because there's so much good stuff here, which is why, again, like the Lord's Prayer is just like pregnant with all this great theology. You can't say like, well, I'm not a theological person and yet try to pray through the Lord's Prayer because within that is contained everything that we need and everything that we need is this deep understanding of who God is. 
So this idea of the revered, revealed will to me is like, so there's so much in the scriptures where God just makes it plain. And that's yeah. the idea of the real field will. So if you want a verse to look at, look at First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. This is how it reads. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do the good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So now, of course, like God's revealed will is not, again, limited to just the verses that say God's will, but... God's revealed will should always be our first concern because it's plain because God holds us accountable for our response to what he has revealed. Accountable for what he has kept secret. That's the big deal. And, and the odd thing is as human beings, we want to go after like the secret thing, the mysterious thing. It seems like more interesting and more exciting, but the good news is, especially if you're worried that you might be have missed like God's will, like you were talking about, because of like a bad decision in your life, God will not say to you on the last day, well, you went to live like in Alabama when you still right. lived in Michigan, yeah. and that's a problem. And so therefore, I'm going to judge you for that. What God is after, I think, predominantly is that we understand, appreciate, and apply his revealed will. There is like, again, like you talked about, this discerned will which we don't even have time to get into, but just right. super important as well. And so I could point to like Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there is this idea that that discerned will is somewhere in between, but it's a place where God like is working out our salvation by his volitional effort, like Philippian style, right? And so in that way, what we need to do is always trust in God by faith, that he's doing the thing. And the way that we entrust ourselves by faith to God, that he is working out his will in all these three different facets in our lives is by praying regularly, your will be done. So I think that's probably the place that we're trying to land is that this prayer is, again, this lovely gift of God to us by way in which we are prone to and in I would say like given great effort to come into and understand the will of God and at the same time entrust all of it to God. And we do that by praying regularly those words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place for us to stop. We've got more of the Lord's prayer coming at you in the coming weeks. Lots um, more. We're wrapping up the series over the summer, but um, we didn't check in on the two minute challenge, but that's still going on. So uh, we, we're challenging everybody to just set a timer on your watch, your computer, your cell phone, whatever you use to keep track of time, set a two minute timer every day and just pray for two minutes and see what the Lord does, right? This, this is something God has commanded to us. This is another one of those moral questions. Should I pray more? The answer is yes. Like you should always, always assume the answer is yes. God isn't going to tell you to pray less. So the two minute challenge is a way to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think the, the takeaway from all of these episodes so far in prayer has just been like, I just need to get out there and pray. I need to get at it more. I need to pray more. I need to pray more. I need to pray deeper and not in this slavish legalistic sense, but just in this sense of like, this is where the life is. Like, this is, this is where the life is. Like we read the scriptures and that's good and important. And we, we get life from that. But at the end of the day, we are not, we're not Christians to be related to a book. And I know that like people are like, I thought you disagreed with Andy Stanley. I do disagree with Andy Stanley. That's not what I'm saying. 
we are Christians because we are united to Christ. And the primary way that that union with Christ is expressed is in our, is through and in our prayers. So like, we just need, we just need to get after it. I I just, I'm more and more convinced that, that the, the weakness of our prayer life is also often just the laziness of our prayer life. So I'm stoked to keep going on this, on this series. Yeah, that's true. I mean, somebody can look this up for like the actual quote, but I believe it was John Piper who wrote something about like the prayerlessness of this generation will be manifest and convicted by the amount of time spent on like Twitter and YouTube. And so it's not about about time. Prayer is like the easiest thing and the hardest thing. So we're acknowledging that the way that we get started is by get started. Like it's like anything else, right? Like, I don't know, like learning to be really good at some kind of musical instrument or running or playing cards or I have no idea like playing video is you go and do that thing. You just do that thing. So it's starting. So the two minute challenge is about this idea of saying, just start. And if you want like a lightning rod or an excuse or some kind of waypoint or an open door, just use whatever we've talked about and say like, well, this week I'm going to say, I'm going to spend my prayer time like the two minutes saying like, what does it mean to ask your will be done? And my guess is that if you pick any of the petitions or the phraseology that we've tried to like compartmentalize, you'll find that it could fill two minutes and two hours. Yes. So uh, you'll be just fine. So it really is a matter of, and, and this is, I'm speaking to myself of just saying, you know what? I'm not, nobody is too busy to pray. Yeah. Yeah. True that. All right, Jesse. Well, it's about 190 degrees in this office that I'm recording in. So I should probably wrap it up or I might die. So in order for that not to happen and until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood.